0: One out of every five adults in the U.S. struggle with mental health issues, and many of these go untreated. In today's story, a local nonprofit shares how they can help. Stay tuned. Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you stories that inspire, educate, and give you hope. I want to thank my sponsor and podcast producer, The Motivated Mind Group. Mental illness is a common issue in the US with an estimated more than one out of every five adults being affected. Of these, only a portion have the financial means to get help as counseling and medication are expensive. Many others go untreated or misdiagnosed and end up incarcerated or worse. My guest today is Kara Jean, the founder of Ult Mental Health, a nonprofit providing resources for those less fortunate. Welcome Kara Jean.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: We have a common friend, so we'll give a shout out to Daryl. Yeah, Daryl. He was here before, but something different, but you guys have paired up mm-hmm. to do a, a mission of the same, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. So would you agree that mental health is a major crisis right now?
1: Oh, uh, 100%, uh, especially since COVID. hmm I think it just exacerbated a problem that was already there. I would totally call it an epidemic of sorts. I have so much to say about this in general, but on a grander scale, like the industrialization of society has happened on, it's just happened way faster than our evolution, our emotional evolution.
0: And I think it's more that we have it being seen. We all stood in, sat in front of televisions, computers, oh. and so then we started getting our information from there, and then that turned into other things too. But yeah. with mental health, and there's a lot of things that are going on right now, I think that you can agree on that, and oh, yeah. I feel like it's constantly in motion. And it's a bit overwhelming. And mental right. health, you deal with it specifically, and It affects everybody. So tell us more about what ALT Mental Health is.
1: Well, ALT Mental Health, it stands for All Life Transitions Mental Health, but we also like to be thought of as alternative. Mm -hmm. Uh, ALT is short for alternative. Uh, Our main focus is mental health equity and access. Uh, So we want to make sure that people who need mental health services, wherever they're at, are getting mental health services. I feel like the mental health system is kind of broken in that they expect people to come to appointments or have technology to go virtually. And the people who need mental health the most are the people who maybe don't have uh, the privilege of being able to make an appointment or get on get on a zoom meeting
0: and I have to say that I prefer to still be in person Mm -hmm. versus being in front of a monitor I think there may be some doctor offices that are still allowing uh, appointments to diagnose something and I don't I still feel that that's a part of our mental health problem is there's not that connection we need to have that connection forget all the other things that are overwhelming us with like how to live you Mm -hmm. know how to budget how to afford anything we got things that are coming at us in every direction with what you were saying just a moment ago you meet people where they're at be more specific as to where they're at
1: well specifically with our friend Mm daryl he had the idea for a mobile barbershop bus with a mental health focus so i was able to help him get certified as a peer support specialist so that's someone who has lived experience uh, that then goes helps other people get through their own journey. And so we were able to secure funding uh, from the CDC through the University of Baltimore. Uh, We got a $50,000 planning grant uh, to kind of set up this program with this bus. Uh, We thought we were gonna get other funding from the Attorney General's office that we did not get. Mm -hmm. And then thankfully the city of Phoenix came through uh, with a $15,000 grant um, through their block grant funding. And so that was, able to get us to purchase the bus uh and some of the things that we need for the bus
0: and i have seen the bus i just saw it today on your social media which we will give the handles in a bit or if not i mean the show notes very interesting when i thought of a bus i thought of a school bus this is like a city bus it's big because you and daryl having a combined effort here
1: (sighs) yeah so the front half of the bus is the peer support barber shop which is you know, like a typical haircut, but Mm -hmm. it's actually a clinical mental health experience. So the haircut kind of gets people in the door, and then all of a sudden they're talking about their mental health with somebody who has mental health experience. Mm -hmm. The back of the bus is a mental health clinic, just like any other mental health clinic uh, in a a brick and mortar, except it's in a bus, so it can go anywhere. Different than the mobile mental health that we kind of have in this city, which is a crisis response. Like they wait for people to be at the end of their rope to, to send out these mobile services. Right. So what we're trying to do is bring the services before they have the crisis and get them in the door with a haircut and then kind of move them towards getting an actual intake with a diagnosis. And then they can have therapy or counseling right there, wherever they are. Uh, we've kind of started this program in St. Vincent de Paul at the Human Services Campus, which is where the shelter is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have started the haircuts in the front, mental health clinic in the back, and we've already served almost 50 people that way, and there is interest. People just need to have it brought to them instead of us expecting them okay. to go to it.
0: Well, not everybody has the ability to go to a clinic, then you have to think about insurance, co-pays, money, again, money. That mm-hmm. isn't always available a resource that you were going to provide which is great now I want to break stigmas too I love breaking stigmas on my shows because what we think is isn't always what it is your community right. that you serve mm-hmm. is altered alternative lifestyle what is it
1: yeah so I started my vision kind of with alternative lifestyles I mean there's a whole backstory about how I got into this um but Mostly, I had been serving people who were incarcerated or institutionalized, kind of the very fringes of society. And then I am a festival goer. I I do mental health crisis response at festivals and festival communities have various different lifestyles in them. I am part of the LGBTQ community, uh, open relationships. These are all communities that are kind of fringe communities that might not have a helping professional that understands their experience. And so not only are we trying to serve people who are maybe unsheltered voluntarily, or understanding the unsheltered experience, but all the other people who are left behind by the mental health system because a lot of people in the mental health system just don't understand those populations.
0: The stigmas or the blocks that people don't wanna accept that there are these lifestyles, it doesn't mean you have to agree, but we all have the right to be taken care of, and, and mental health, that's one of them, having to be able to identify who you are and be okay with who you are, right? I think that's anybody.
1: Well, yeah, and a lot of these these people in these lifestyles do have a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so a lot of these people on the fringes are the people in most need of mental mm-hmm. health services, yet the equity isn't there, the access isn't there right. as much.
0: You talked about incarceration. Give me more about that.
1: Well, okay. Um, that was kind of the end of my career, like working for someone else. I started working in youth kind of incarceration. It was a treatment center called Youth Development Institute. We're still kind of partnering with them to offer uh, substance use prevention and trauma-informed arts programs. But I started with them for three and a half years and then I spent three and a half years at the Arizona State Hospital. So people that were locked up for being danger to themselves or others or maybe they had committed some kind of terrible crime and they had been determined to be guilty except insane Mm -hmm. Uh, so I've seen the inside of the state hospital my my partner still works there and like there's a lot of bad press on the state hospital but a lot of people don't know the level of mental health things they're dealing with in there
0: and you said a little while ago um, and I'm a firm believer that where we come from is why we are the way we are most of the time unless we find out something different unless something else has been presented Mm -hmm. we're going to continue on that path or that journey or that route
1: yeah so after that i was i was um, a mental health associate at fourth avenue jail on the maximum security level Mm. through covid and all of that that happened during covid Uh, I was running really great trauma programs in there. I had a whole trauma informed pod going on and then COVID just kind of decimated that. And that's where I was inspired to get into the community and basically bring what I was bringing inside of those walls to the street where I could potentially reach people before they were institutionalized in these lockup situations. And so I started doing coalition work, which is like youth substance use prevention. It's kind of like drugs are bad, don't do drugs, which we know kind of doesn't work. No. But it was a foot in the door to do more of the grassroots work that we really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We're still um, in the coalition work. We, we have the only LGBTQ youth-focused coalition, I believe, in the state of Arizona. Okay, uh, We do prevention work, I think, there's you know the political climate doesn't make it very easy for us to do that in the schools because we have the lgbtq rainbow going on Uh, but we try to fill in the gaps for other coalitions and do whatever we can to support because we know those we know those youth that identify like that are there and need help potentially from somebody they can identify with who's from the community
0: so i'm going to ask the question because i I do that very well, <laughs> and I never say or ask anything to be disrespectful, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm being disrespectful in any way shape. I feel that if you don't ask, you don't know, and then you're ignorant if you assume.
1: Sure. I'm sure
0: everyone can relate to that statement. Yeah. You've talked about the youth. hmm Be more specific when you say you go in and you help the youth in this particular community. What are you helping these children? Or the age, I guess I should ask the age, so- too.
1: coalitions in general there's so there's a statewide network of coalitions and they are to prevent youth substance use so basically they're trying to reach youth before they experiment with substances to try and make sure they're not the next um, statistic from the fentanyl crisis or you know the extreme uh, evolution of meth becoming more potent and more dangerous Mm -hmm. so we're trying to reach youth that haven't used yet but we're also reaching youth that have used already. Mm -hmm. And we find that LGBTQ youth are disproportionately represented in incarceration and treatment settings, just like uh, non-white youth are, right? So that's where we've kind of focused is like, because I have that history with troubled youth that are institutionalized, like I can go back there and I can be like, okay, so I know how to deal with this. So let's talk to these kids, you know, about these substances of abuse. Let's use um, art and art therapy to reach them and and get them to integrate some of their trauma experiences so they can turn their pain into power Mm -hmm. and and move forward.
0: Yeah, I love that pain into power. It really is powerful. But these kids... Mm -hmm what like you said trauma and and any of us have had some form of trauma Mm -hmm. some a lot more than others right and that does make it more difficult for us to grow up so to speak
1: that's the right word
0: and understand right yeah why why we are the way we are and how we can change that and our youth they're so fragile Mm -hmm. our society has I think made them fragile Mm-hmm. Um, because they can't identify how they feel they are, whether you're an adult or a child, but the children are the ones that don't have the answers. They look to us as the adults or the experts or the leadership or lack of leadership in their community, right. our community. And I loved how you, I, you've you labeled certain things without saying that it's one way or another. It's, it's a general, and I like that you say that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know you don't do just that you have other programs in here too and I think you talked about uh, leadership I just mentioned leadership mm-hmm. um, facilities that are um, I would think that in your um, website it was something to regarding uh, was it um, high profile high profile
1: um, I'm not sure what your facilities are
0: or, or no
1: no I'm not sure what you're referencing there um, we used to do some like trauma informed business, okay. like trainings and things like okay. that. But yeah, we, we offer lots of different trainings and they're mostly grant funded and completely free. Okay. Uh, so like, for instance, we've been going into Mesa schools with trauma informed, comprehensive opioid harm reduction. I feel like Mesa schools has definitely made the right choice in embracing us uh, because harm reduction is one of those things that it's, hard for people to embrace like Mm -hmm. let's embrace people who use drugs and let's connect with them uh, so that they have a bridge to recovery instead of just expecting them to go cold turkey with all of their trauma and make it you know or
0: worse overdose oh yeah Yeah, because they don't have an understanding what they're supposed to be doing or even understand how they're feeling going through this
1: well, yeah, ninety-one percent of overdoses are accidental, and nine percent of overdoses are intentional. So
0: intentional. Mm-hmm. Would so, you like to elaborate more on that? Because I don't think there's a lot of people that understand that there is that option. Yeah,
1: I mean, one out of ten, approximately one out of ten overdoses is a suicide attempt. So we don't even we, we have to address suicidality and mental health and trauma, and not just substance abuse. They're intrinsically intertwined. Right. And we're not back to the youth. We're not teaching, you know, trauma and emotion regulation and codependency. And like that's not part of the regular curriculum we're testing the kids on. Uh, But that's a that's a great vision is to bring that into the schools where we can reach the youth where they are because they're already at school. Right. And give them these programs and actually prepare them for life in these ways so that, you know, once they go off to college or into the workforce, uh, they're not just another statistic out there with having complicated relationships and substance use issues.
0: So would you say ALT is uh, specific to the youth versus anybody?
1: No. So we, we have... I'd say about 50% of our funding is for these kinds of youth programs that we can bring into schools or after school programs or whoever might want us to come and talk. Uh, as part of those programs, we're also training parents, caregivers, anybody who might be associated with youth. So part of the youth funding is working with the adults that mentor or role model for the youth, right? And then the other 50% of our funding is, as I said, through the CDC. And it. The grant is called Combating Overdose Through Community-Level Intervention, and that's centered around the bus, unsheltered people, uh, just meeting people where they're at with the bus. They don't have to be unsheltered. We might go to a festival. We might go to the park. We might go to the parking lot where we know that impoverished uh, families send their kids to school, right? And so we're just trying to find these people that are at higher risk for overdose, find them wherever they are, show up with the bus and be like hey would you like a handshake and a haircut you know it's only a couple more forms but this is a mental health experience we'd like to introduce you to the idea of mental health because in a lot of cultures mental health treatment is stigmatized admitting Mm -hmm. that you go to therapy, or that you need mental health help is highly stigmatized in Mm -hmm. the cultures that sometimes need it the most, right?
0: Well, if you have mental health, then you have problems. And who wants to deal with problems is the stigma, right? (laughs) Right. I get it. I get it. I mean, like I said earlier, we have so many different levels of mental health Mm -hmm. that we really, there's a lot of stigmas on a lot of it, but it's that voice that someone didn't speak up and it's the voice that says, I wish they had, now it's too late. Mm. And that's not what it should be. There should be no judgment on someone saying, I'm just not feeling it today. I myself, if you know me personally, I'm a happy person. But there's days I'm just like, I just don't feel like doing this today.
1: Well, yeah. And then just reducing those barriers to Mm -hmm. care, like the, the health, the Western medical health care system is completely broken Mm -hmm. it's exorbitantly expensive to get care unless you have insurance and then the insurance is also exorbitantly (laughs) expensive so like what we're trying to do is be like okay there's no more barriers you don't have to have insurance you don't even have to have money you don't even have to come to us (laughs) we'll come to you and here it is
0: yeah you mentioned several times non-sheltered unsheltered
1: yeah unsheltered is the new pc Everything is stigmatized, right? So we try to use new words that aren't stigmatized all the time. It's like a constantly evolving process. Uh, Like, for example, the zone is what they call the air. The the people have been calling the area around um, Cass, right? Downtown Phoenix. But that's stigmatized. So they've started calling it the neighborhood around the human services campus. Okay. And so changing the language, we actually have a training that is specifically about changing the language so that people don't feel as much shame. It's it's eliminating the stigma because when people feel less shame, they are more likely to go into treatment, they're more likely to get into recovery and stay there.
0: I like that. You just my my brain's going all over the place with all that.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have a training it just about that.
0: definitely has to do with the the words we use. The words, oh, yeah. you know, when they say words words hurt or they don't hurt. They do hurt. They can also give love. Mm-hmm. And when you have a word that people don't have to feel so defensive about, mm-hmm. it's more helpful. And like you said, they'll, they're more likely to go on to recovery versus thinking they're a failure.
1: Mm. How many times 100%. even as an adult,
0: mm-hmm, even as an adult, how many times do we hear something and we're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, yeah. I failed. I can't do this. I'm
1: guilty of it. I think most of us I, are. Oh, I,
0: I'm sitting here and I will say <laughs> the same thing. I am not perfect by no means. And I have to look at what is society, what's going on my zone my society my community that's making me feel that way is it me is it something I heard is it something that I feel that I am I'm comparing myself and I say all the time don't compare but we do initially until we have an understanding of why we're comparing ourselves to whatever it may be
1: yeah it kind of circles back to what I was saying about evolution and how the industrial revolution and the the technology boom has just evolved our lifestyles into this really stressful thing with mm-hmm. all this green time and stuff That our our brain and our emotional evolution has not it does not have the ability to catch up with as fast and like it's just developmental trauma occurs because parents are stressed right and children are just caught up in this this way of things this way of life we've evolved into Mm -hmm. but think of how fast we evolution worked in the past it wasn't very fast right but you know just twenty years ago. I, I didn't really have a smartphone. I had a beeper, you know. <laughs> but, you but, but I'm expected to, like, adjust and uh-huh. adapt to this new world yeah. and then also be there for my kids, you know. Like, So it's a lot, and I think it's a lot for most parents.
0: It is because a lot of them are trying to figure out how to put food on the table mm-hmm. or fuel in their car.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we're feeling, we're feeling it right now a lot. Oh, yeah. On some of these programs, do – people have to qualify
1: so the the adult program is for people who use substances or who have previously used substances and it can be any substance so it can be marijuana alcohol any other drugs of abuse Uh, so that's the free therapy program for the youth program I mean there's really no qualifications uh, just if you ha- if you're an organization that would like a training about any of the things that we're talking about today, which could be stigma, which could be Narcan administration, uh, the fentanyl crisis, uh, the evolution of meth, uh, we have trainings on vaping and marijuana and alcohol, so all the different substances of abuse. Uh, we also have a really interesting training ab- about how Snapchat has become the new drug dealer.
0: What? Yeah,
1: it's it's very in depth. Uh,
0: how how so?
1: So. A lot of parents and caregivers and anybody might not know this, uh, but on Snapchat, there's a map feature. And anybody can go live on this map feature with emojis or, you know, whatever, and advertise their goods with a a live snap. So, like, Snapchat hasn't really been regulating it. or And so it's actually become a place where you can almost get Uber Eats uh, drugs on demand where they deliver them straight to your house, and it's kind of scary. And a lot of the kids, like upwards of 50 kids a year in Arizona die from an accidental fentanyl overdose. And a lot of those kids actually got those drugs delivered to them from Snapchat.
0: I don't know if now's the time to say, shame on you, Snapchat, you need to do more monitoring, (laughs) or I just leave that one out, because we have children that don't know what they're doing. I remember when I was using Snapchat a long time ago, it was one of those things you send pictures and they disappear. But that doesn't sound like what's going on right now. Those pictures don't disappear. They give you more information, location, and options like Uber.
1: Well, right. And it allows people to be completely anonymous. Yes. Oh,
0: that's dangerous.
1: (laughs) Right. Really dangerous. Yeah, the messages disappear. So if the kid did order something, the parent wouldn't know. But the training actually allows parents and caregivers to understand what they're seeing on snapchat because a lot of people my age or you know all as i said back with the technology and advancements like i'm not caught up with exactly how snapchat works and what i should be looking for and it's a training that explains exactly how snapchat works what emojis are being used how to use the map how to how to work with your kids to make sure that you're monitoring it and like kids are on snapchat all over the place like 10 years and up yeah, we, it's amazing to think about. But like I said, we are the trainers for Mesa schools. Uh, one of our great successes is that when we after we started training Mesa schools, they let us know that one of the Narcans we gave to them was used to save a 13-year-old girl from a fentanyl overdose at school.
0: And I think to myself, oh, my gosh. But then I think, no, th- I'm so glad at the same time. It goes back on that stigma or that judgment. It's like, where would you think a 13-year-old wouldn't even need to? And then you go, no, no. Don't even go there right now. They were able to save this child, mm-hmm. and then they can work with why, how, and let's figure out what not to do again. So it's mm-hmm. got it's got both so sides. You, yeah, to it. you got
1: to reach them before, yeah. and you got to reach them after. Most people overdose um, after a stint of sobriety, actually. So after they've been released from a treatment center or a period of incarceration, they think they can use at the level that they used prior to that. A stint of sobriety and so they go back to the same amount that they used before and because they don't have the tolerance it's too much Culture. that's where the accidents happen a lot of times
0: Thank you for clarifying that, because I don't think a lot of people realize that. I know I didn't. I'm not, I don't know everything. I'm not going to say, oh, Christine, you should have known better. That doesn't mean that I did. And so thank you for giving that information for everyone else that will be able to have that, too, in their back pocket. 100%. Um, I'm very familiar with Narcan, too. I had a guest uh, when I first started doing this, Mm -hmm. and uh, an eye opener on that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any success stories? We don't want to keep going down the rabbit hole of how bad drugs are. Let's give us a, an uplift on some success, a well, success I've, story. I, mean, I feel
1: like those lives saved are definitely okay. success stories, but we're so new, like... Um, I can give an ex- a success story from, from the jail Yeah, please. Um, because, as I said, we just founded this nonprofit last year and we've been on this exponential trajectory. So of course we would love additional funding, anybody who wants to support us on this, this mission. But the, the best success story that I told, which actually was interesting, we have this Opioid Resilience Council and my icebreaker question was, what's your favorite story of hope? Oh, <laughs> So this was the Love story it. that I told. Okay. Um, I had been working in the jail and I helped create this program called the Mosaic program, which was an early release for substance users program. So they could get out of their sentence earlier if they went through this program. One of the guys that I worked with who happened to be LGBTQ. So that was a great part of this. Um, you know, you know, you don't know where these people go after they're released into the nope. wild. And th- you know, it's always the, because overdoses happened right after release like there were many stories where i lost people and mm. and those were the stories i i would hear this particular person i didn't have any idea what happened to them and then i was working on getting my counseling license which i eventually got uh but before that i wanted to get certified as a peer support because of my own lived experience you know i wanted to have that under my belt it was one of the best trainings i ever had and it was at ri international but I went in for the intake because you have to do an intake to get into the training for peer support. And it was one of the guys from the jail <gasps> instructing it that did my intake. Wow. Yeah. He had made it out and he was working for recovery international and yeah, recovery innovations international. That's what it sounds that stands for. Wonderful. But yeah, he was right there and he was like, it's because of you that I'm here today. And I was like, Ah, Because because those aren't the stories I usually get to hear. I like hearing,
0: you could hear the say, because of you. But (laughs) here's one of those, because of you, I got a second chance at life. And now I get to save other people is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Good for you. That's wonderful. Yeah. So how is it that anyone can come find you? You've already mentioned that you're fairly new and you've got a bus project going on.
1: Right. uh, Which we would love help with that bus project because it is currently being built out. Uh, by ABI Create, which is our partner in that build. Uh, so, where can they find us? Uh, www.altmentalhealth.org. That's A L T mentalhealth.org. That's our website. And uh, as far as the bus project, we would love contributions. Gift cards would be great. Uh, Lowe's, Home Depot and Amazon gift cards so we can get stuff to build the the bus with. We'll
0: put that in the show notes
1: for sure. Yeah. There's, there's an email that you can just send a gift card to. It's super easy to do. Um, but that's, yeah, you can find me on your website. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, well, X and, um, what's the other one we were talking about earlier? Um, I can't remember. Uh, we're not on YouTube. It's the one, the shorter, the shorter one.
0: Um, TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. TikTok. Uh, you got to be on TikTok these days. There you go. Yeah, Yeah, we're on TikTok, so yeah. Um, I do have one final question. Okay. And this one I always love asking, not that I don't enjoy the questions that I ask, but this one gives me a little bit more grounding every single time I meet someone new and learn about their journey. If I only had the one question to ask, it would be this one. Based on your journey of your life. Okay. What message would you like to leave everyone
1: I have okay so I when I quit my job at the jail and I wanted to start my own thing I wrote this um I drew like a, a sign on a little tiny piece of paper and it was like a road sign and I just wrote keep going <laughs> keep going because Failure is just a step, or it's just a step on the stairway to success, honestly, and sometimes I get burnout and sometimes I get overwhelmed because of how much is going on with the evolution of this project, but it just, the universe has other ideas and it just has a life of its own and, and keep going. Is I like that. I,
0: I, I like that more than you know.
1: Like, I, it's still a, yeah. it's stuck to my computer. Uh, well, if you
0: think of it this way, too, <laughs> you didn't come this far just to only be this far.
1: Right? Oh, I'm a survivor. That goes with anybody. <laughs>
0: you didn't come this far just to come this far. Oh yeah. So keep on going. Keep I'm going. with you on that. Right. Thank you for being my guest today and sharing all this wonderful information, mm-hmm. breaking some stigmas, educating us on some things and um yeah,
1: and good luck on your project shout out to daryl yes shout out to daryl daryl he's he's my partner in this 100 he is the dreaded barber he's the barber on the barbershop project so he's been here he's been here look up daryl's interview because he his was while well, we were already partnered and he talks about this as well
0: I have to tell you, when he was in the other studio that I was in, and he was my guest, he talked about this vision. Mm-hmm. So when you said, keep going, he was saying, I don't know how it's going to happen. So with what, what you just said, and I remember my interview with Daryl, yeah. I was like, and here it is. Yeah. Here it is. So thank you. Thank yeah. you both for what you're doing for our community, for our youth, and for everything that is going to touch anybody that you guys are serving. This inspiring story was brought to you by MMG, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler.